Well, good morning. Good to see you guys again. Well, it is, uh, it is a delight. Um, our Carissa and our family is just uh, delighted to be here with you guys again this morning. And uh, as we get to know more and more of you, we just are getting to know more and more of the church and enjoying our time here more and more. Um, you guys are, are lovely. Um, you know, hearing about the kiddings and the ministry, I just, I, I just wanted to say, you know, that it's fantastic when we have just opportunities to find places uh, that we can serve the church and serve the community around us. And, uh, you, know, you know, from, from uh, you know, just a thank you to all those of you who are serving in the children's ministry during service times and, and all the hospitality crew that makes this place so welcome. Um, no matter what door we try to sneak in, somebody always snags us and says hi. So um, it, is, uh, it is a delight to come and uh, to see that people are, are not only just part- are, are not only coming, but they're participating and serving. Uh, next week, we are looking at Acts chapter 6, and we'll be looking at what happens when our like, roles in life get restored by a Heavenly Father who loves us deeply and has wired us specifically for certain things. And to hear about how the kiddings have, uh, you know, found their own gifting, right? And many of you have found that as well, uh, but we'll be looking at that next week. Uh, This week, we'll be looking at Acts chapter 5. We are going to continue in going through the book of Acts. Um, We're just, it's at blitzkrieg rate, and we were just blitzing through the book. There's so much in the book of Acts that we could camp on in each chapter, uh, but we're looking at kind of like a, a survey through it. We've looked at the idea that, you know, um, the coming king with Jesus coming and everything that's happening in the book of the Acts, it's all about restoring back to what God had originally intended, bringing the kingdom on here, on earth, as in heaven. And so what's happening is what we're seeing is that the community of believers is becoming restored. And we're looking at a restored mission, an identity, a reality. Last week we looked at a restored boldness or courage. And this week we'll be looking at restored trust and where we put our trust in. Um, But before we get going, um, I just was really blessed by the worship this morning and I really felt like the Lord was, um, well, I will say every week it seems like the Holy Spirit is active and moving, but I, I just was really feeling like God wants to do something this morning, and I feel like the Holy Spirit was actively asking me that we would come this morning with a heart of confession and a heart of repentance to receive what God has for us. And so I'm just going to lead out in that, and then you sitting in these chairs kind of do whatever you feel led to do. Um, but I just was really feeling like impressed upon the heart that I need to confess and I need to come and, and be clean and holy before the Lord and, and to receive what he has for us this morning. And so, Lord, we just, we do, we come before you and we recognize that we are sinners. And Lord, I am a sinner and uh, there were parts of my week this week that I'm not proud of. Lord, there were words that came out of my mouth. There was actions that I took that uh, were we're, uh, we're sinful. And Lord, the motivations of my heart, I just confess that there are, there are things that I um, count on or am tempted to count on or look for security in finances or other things, Lord, that I'm worried about this or worried about that or anxious about other things. And Lord, I just confess that I need you. 
I confess my sin. And we as a church, we come, we gather together uh, to hear from you, but we also gather together to recognize that, yes, we need one another and we need you. We are dependent upon you. And so, Lord, we want to confess our sins before you this morning. We want to repent and we want to turn away from things that are wrong and turn towards you. And so, Lord, we confess our sin before you this morning. We just would ask that you would uh, hear that and receive that and extend your forgiveness. Thank you for the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness that you extend over us. And so, Lord, if there is something on our hearts this morning, if there's something that we need to take care of with a brother or a sister in Christ where we have wronged them in any way, I pray that we would do that this morning so that we could hear from you. And Lord, we desire to be holy before we know that you are the one who makes us holy. Thank you so much for your son, Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins. Lord, none of us are perfect. We come in here broken. We come in here needy. We come in here dependent upon you. And we recognize that you are holy and you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We want to worship and glorify your name, but we also recognize humbly that we need you. Lord, we need your forgiveness. Thank you so much for stepping in our in, in the gap for us and on our behalf. Thank you for making a way for us to have a restored life, to restore relationship with you. And Lord, we pray that you would continue to do something special this morning. And, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, if you were in the world today, if you were outside of the church, if you were in the world and you were like trying to do this thing called life all on your own, what is it that you would think, like if you were to speak on behalf of the world today, what is it that you think that you would say, like, you know, what are you going to put your trust into? What are the things, and this is like, I need audience interaction. You can raise your hand. You can just shout it out. That'd be a lot easier if you just shout it out. Um, you know, like, what is it that the world is relying upon? Money. Money. Yeah, financial security, right? You know, if the stock market's good, everybody's good. If the stock market plunges, there's like anxiety and nervousness, right? There's, there's uh, certainly the world is saying, yes, put your security in your finances. As long as your finances are good, everything's going to be happy slappy. What else? Themselves, okay, like I'm just going to pull myself up by the bootstraps. I'm going to get it done. We're going to just take it upon ourselves. Uh, you know, if everything else is going down, I've got my, uh, you know, I've got my stash of, of uh, my armament and my water and my food and, and my own self-sustaining situation. I got the safe room. I get, I'm going to take care of myself, right? There's a security of everyone else might burn, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be all right, you know? Um, it used to be stockpiling toilet paper, but I think we're past that, so that's good. What, uh, what else? Social media. So, what? Social media. Social media, yeah, like uh, you put your trust in like, you know, making sure that people like you, you know, you, you, that you are appearing a certain way. I mean, we have our, like our social media is kind of like the, the, our world, like our best projection to the world, saying like this is me living my best life. And this is, uh, this is what everybody should be aspiring to because, you know, this is what I'm accomplishing. Um, all right, what else? Government. Government, yeah. Yeah, right? I think a lot of people are putting their trust in politics. Absolutely. You know, if we can just get this person, you know, uh, um, elected, that's the word for it. I was like, hired? No, not it. Yeah, if I can just get this person elected, right? If, if this person is in, in position to do this, then man, everything's going to go good. If we can get just one more justice, then, then man, the world is going to be righted and uh, everything will, will go, right? Yeah, we put our trust. I think the world can put our trust in politics. Absolutely. What else? Somebody else was saying something over here. Health? 
Yeah, yeah, if, you're, if our body's in good shape, you know. I, I kind of always sort of had this mantra, like if I can, like at the drop of a hat, go run a half marathon, I will feel good about myself. Um, I need to be, and I don't know if I can do that just now, so I probably need to get back on that. But, but you know, just, just that idea, if I'm in good health, then everything's all good. Yes, as long as I have my health, everything will be fine. What else do we put our trust into? Family, I think so, absolutely. You know, as long as our family's together, we've got things going on, you know, uh, we, we want to put our trust in family. My, my boss might not like me. I may not have uh, the finances I really want, but hey, my family's surrounding me, so I've, I've got everything I need. Somebody said something over here? Yeah, man's wisdom. Just the idea of like, you know, this is how man, yeah, man's wisdom, ability to solve things out, suss them out, figure things out. Just man's wisdom, absolutely. Anything else? Man, I think you hit everything I had. Uh, politics, oh, military might, right? You know, hey, as long as we have the biggest army, then, then everything will be all good. Uh, appearances, status, power, authority, position. As long as we're in this place of position, then we can, we can certainly... And then, none, you know, none of those things are bad in and of themselves. But if they're taking the place of, of, you know, our anchor, if they're taking the place of our Lord and Savior, if they're taking the place of who we really are putting our trust into, then they do become a bad thing. They become an idol. I was reminded as I was preparing for this, uh, how many of you guys have read uh, Where the Red Fern Grows? All right, raise your hand if you read it. And keep your hand raised if you didn't cry. Okay, all right. Uh, I like wept like a, like a just, uh, I just wept. Okay, it is, it is a fantastic book. I just remember being a young boy reading it and just uh, the power of a boy and his dogs. It was just, it was just too much for me. But I remember, um, I think it was his grandfather that, that taught him how to catch a raccoon. And you would dig a hole and you'd have like a little shiny object in, the, in it and then you'd have like little nails or something. It's probably illegal and you can't do this so you probably shouldn't be talking about it from the pulpit. But it was in a book. So, you know, the, the little shiny object is in the bottom of the hole. The raccoon sticks his hand in, grabs a shiny object because it really wants that shiny object and then can't get his hand out of the hole because, and he's not willing to let go of the shiny object. And so he's trapped. If he would just let go of that shiny object and then he could retract his hand and he'd be off and going. Um, you know, but I think, I think some of these things, politics, military, uh, financial security, you know, as long as I have my job, whatever it is, they, they can be those shiny objects that we hold on to and that we're not willing to let go. And what we're going to do is we're going to uh, introduce ourselves to a couple that really struggled with putting their trust in something other than the Lord, putting our trust, putting their trust in something other than the Lord and Savior. Um, you know, there are, uh, you know, thinking about the book of Acts, that's what we've been going through, right? Acts, you know, and, and if we were to kind of boil down the central theme of the book of Acts, I think we would probably land on, I, th I think everybody would agree, we'd land on chapter one, verse eight. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And if that's the thesis for the book of Acts, right? That the Holy Spirit is showing up, that the apostles are being witnesses to the risen Christ and the fact that he, that God raised him from the dead, the fact that he is now sitting at the right hand of the Father with all power and authority, that he's been given authority and power to forgive the sins of his people that are all people, not just not just uh, uh, the Jewish family, but now all people, right? And that, 
and that, that, that's what we're seeing in the books of Acts, and that's why the church is exploding, and that is what's happening. Um, the Holy Spirit is showing up in power. Things are taking place, signs and wonders, miraculous healings and deliverances. Hearts are being changed. Community of church coming together, helping anyone who has a need. There is no need because everyone's pitching in. Now, it is a beautiful picture of, of what happens when God starts restoring uh, life back to his kingdom come on earth as is in heaven. Um, and, and, and that's what we're seeing. And with that comes opposition. And we're beginning to see the religious elite uh, begin to oppose what God is doing through his church. And of course, we still see that opposition to this day. Um, but I really believe that we're continuing to be in this position of Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where the Holy Spirit is coming and we are called as the church to be witnesses to um, all places here, near and far. And it was exciting. I was talking with Jerry this morning about just some of the mission trips that you guys have taken as a church. And it's exciting to hear how you're reaching um, out and beyond the, uh, the walls of this church. But let's jump into the, let's jump into the word. Verse, uh, chapter five, verse one. But a man named Ananias with his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. What a fun chapter. All right. I mean, this is the reality. It's like, not only is the church experiencing opposition outside of the church, now all of a sudden the church is experiencing opposition inside the church, right? And, 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 and the world outside wants to derail what God is doing. The enemy, we do have an enemy, and he is against what you at Cedar Home are trying to do and trying to accomplish right here. And sometimes, though, in the midst of the church, we can have opposition from within, and that would be just the sin. I mean, I think that's why it's important for us to come to t together as a church and confess our sins and to be ready to receive a cleansing and that there would be a purity amongst the congregation. And then I think that's important because what we see is, is uh, this had the potential to derail what God was doing in the midst of this congregation, in the midst of this early church. And unfortunately, I mean, I'm not going to ask you guys to raise your hand. I'll just be the only one. I can relate to Ananias and Sapphira too often. Um, I'm often tempted to be sure that people like me, um, that, they, that they would think highly of me. Um, I want you guys to like me. I do. 
I want to be liked by you. It makes, I mean, it feeds my ego and strokes my ego when you guys say, oh, pastor, so good to see you this morning. I'm so glad you're here. That like feeds my like selfish need for appreciation from you guys. And I just confess that to you, right? I mean, I, I, uh, you know, there is something in me, like m- most of my life, I've, I've struggled off and on with the temptation to, to like do everything for the approval of man instead of the approval of God. And this has been one of those things that God has constantly been working on in my life. And I, I hope I'm becoming more and more mature in that, but I just want to confess that before you, that that is something where the enemy tries to attack me in. Like, I want to be liked. I want to, like, be approved. Like, I want you to approve of me. You know, it feels good for you to say, hey, nice sermon. Like, I really want that. But don't say it to me today, okay? <laughs> but I confess my, like, I confess that that, like, that is, like, that selfish desire to be liked is in me. And that temptation to rely on that or to put my trust in that, as long as they like me, I will be okay. That is false. That is false. That is a false security. And there's no reason for me to put my trust in man's approval. Because man's approval is pretty fickle, right? First of all. But more importantly, I want to, I want to do all things for the glory of God. I want to do all things for his honor. I want to do all things for his approval. I want to be in a place where he says, well done. That's where I want to be. And so I just confess my, my sin to you. But I, I find it really easy to step in. And, and maybe, maybe that's what Ananias and Sapphira were, were struggling with. Maybe they just wanted to look good in the eyes of the church. Like, we're going to get, remember, remember Barnabas? Like, he gave all of his land, and then he just gave everything to the church. And then everyone was like, oh, Barnabas, that's so fantastic. Like, that was amazing. And like, we want to do, we want some approval like that. We want to, I want the same kind of like attaboys. That would be fantastic. So, but mm, we kind of like money too. So maybe, maybe we'll just sell it all and, and, and then keep back some and then pretend like we didn't. And right, and then they do this in front of the church and they deceive the Holy Spirit and that doesn't go well for them as we see. Right, I think, I think if we are putting our trust, and I think what Ananias and Sapphira, whether it's greed or whether it's man's approval, they were putting their trust in something other than God. Right? And that had the potential to derail what God wanted to do in the early church. And I think, church, I think it's really important for us to really recognize where is it that, what are those shiny objects that get our attention? Is it politics? Is it, is it, um, you know, just, is it religion? That's something that we didn't talk about. But hey, as long as I show up, as long as I put my 10% in tithe in the church, as long as I put in my two hours of, uh, of volunteering every month, as long as I do these things, then I am in good stead with God and then I can do whatever I want for the rest of my life. You know, sometimes religion can be something that we put our false trust into. But whether it's politics or religion or uh, entertainment or just our job, our position, financial security, there are shiny objects out there that grasp for our attention and our trust. And that is misguided because all of those will burn. In studying this chapter, I came across something uh, written by John Piper that kind of stuck with me. He said, and I'll kind of paraphrase, translate it into my own, uh, uh, into my own, but it was his idea. He said something to the effect of when we put our faith in Christ, we have a growing love for God and for others. And this is followed by a lessening love of material wealth and possessions. 
Right? As we come to faith in Christ, we learn to love God more and love others more. And as that increases, our love of possessions and material wealth decreases. And that's what we see happening in the early church. We see people coming together and donating their land, donating all of their things. And I mean, donating donkeys, I'm sure, right? I mean, whatever, whatever it is that they have, then they were growing, they were donating to the church and then making sure that there was no need, right? And so we see a love of people increasing in a... In a a love of possessions decreasing. And I think that's just the maturity, like maturity, like spiritual maturity that's taking place in this early church that's happening. And I think sometimes what we find in the church is we find, uh, you know, people like me or Ananias and Sapphira, sometimes, you know, what can happen in the church is that people want to appear different than what they actually are. Uh, last night, it's, it's, it's really nice having uh, somebody that speaks truth to you in your life, even if they're your own child. Uh, it's lovely. And uh, so I was, laying, I was laying down with my daughter, and, and she said, you know what you said in the car the other day, or yesterday, earlier today? I was a little bit uncomfortable with that. And, and so I said, you know, I'm really sorry, that was wrong. I had a little grumpy day yesterday. I'll just confess that to you. I was, a little, I was a little grumpy. In driving the car, I got myself into a dangerous situation because of what another driver did. And I was not, I, I, I shared a name with this driver that was not appropriate. And so I confessed my sin to her and I will confess it to you guys all. Something kind of came out of my mouth that was not appropriate. Um, and and uh, I had a choice name for this driver and, and it, was, it was not good. And so because I care about like what you guys think about me, I would never tell a story like that to you guys, right? So, um, but the, you know, what comes out of the heart, you know, I, I want to reflect more about, you know, love for God and love for others and less about this carnal nature that does still exist in me. Um, you know, I, I, I think God obviously took this sin of Ananias and Sapphira very seriously and I think the, God, the impact of God's movement here is that fear fell upon the church, right? It says it twice, that fear fell upon the church. That there is a respect for the power and authority of God that is not to be trifled with. Like there is a power and there is authority that God has and a holiness that he requires that is not to be trifled with. Like we see that, we hear about that, we read about it, and we recognize that is significant. And I think when we, uh, we like to think about God being all loving, and he is. And we like to think about his rich mercy and grace and forgiveness, and all of that is true. And in fact, what we understand, the more that we understand God's need for holiness and his, his power and his authority and his might, like the greater we understand his love for us. Like when I have a harder week and I recognize that God extends forgiveness to me and his grace and mercy uh, washes over me and he loves me in the midst of my sin. Like, because I know his power and his authority and his holiness, like that translates even a greater love and a deeper love. And my understanding of his love for me is greater because I understand. And I think that's what's taking place as they understand, as the congregation has this fear. Because right after that, what happens is we, we're going to go ahead and read it. Like right after, God continues to move in powerful ways and more and more people are coming to the Lord, even in the midst of this great fear that is coming over the congregation because they recognize that this is a holy God. 
Verse 12 says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that even, they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted, with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. First of all, I love that, that the language is that, that, that this is not like the more and more numbers were coming to the church or more and more numbers were coming to the movement, but it's more and more numbers were coming to the Lord. Like there is a, there is a, like a, a larger picture movement than just a singular church, right? There is a larger picture movement that as the kingdom of God is expanding, more and more people are putting their faith in the Lord and they are a part of God's great kingdom. And that is exciting. The word is getting out. People are coming from all over Jerusalem for healing and deliverance. I mean, what, a, what an amazing, amazing circumstances. Verse 17. But the high priest rose up and all who were with him and that is the party of the Sadducees. And filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. So this is the opposition from outside the church. And this is what the religious elite, the Sadducees, um, it's easy to understand why they were so jealous and afraid of what God was doing. Uh, they were seeing their beliefs uh, like be thwarted, right? They did not believe in the resurrection. So how dare these apostles be speaking about the fact that Jesus was resurrected? How dare they be? Like, this is bad theology. They're out there saying that God resurrected Jesus from the dead. They don't even believe in resurrection at all. Right? And so all of a sudden, their own like, theology is being threatened. Their position, their authority, all of that which they have kind of like, invested in, like, this is the path that they have come to, like, like all of the approval of like, all of Jerusalem. They, like, they are like the pinnacle. Right? They walk around Jerusalem with their amazing garb on. Like, they are, you know, people are like, well, that's a Sadducee. They have like, reached the pinnacle, right? And they are jealous of the authority and power that these apostles seem to be wielding. And people want to know what the apostles are saying, not what the Sadducees are saying. Like there is an understanding, like we can understand why they would oppose that. The apostles are receiving more and more attention from this uh, opposing religious elite. And this time they all end up in jail. Like the whole crew, like the usual suspects, all 12 in jail, hanging out together. And then during the night, an angel breaks them out of prison without the guards even knowing. I mean, this is almost a little bit humorous, right? We can find some humor in this. I, I don't know how it happens. It, it doesn't explain, but, you know, smoke and mirrors, I'm not sure what was taking place. Um, but all of a sudden, they're all gone, and the guards aren't, aren't the wiser. Uh, this is like an Ocean's 12 or something. Right? They all get out. No one even knows it happened. And, and next thing you know, they're in the temple, and they are preaching God's word. And you can imagine, like, okay, here we are again in jail, like the 12 of them, and you would imagine that they were praying and say, okay, God, would you, would you break us out of prison? Would you do this? And an angel does come, and they actually are released, not for their own safety and comfort. They were not released because it was uncomfortable to be in prison. They were not released because, you know, they were in an unsafe situation. 
They were released because they had a job to do. They were released from prison and angel busted them out because they had something from God to do. They needed to be obey, obeying what it is that God has for them, to be preaching in the temple. After this, what the apostles are going to find is that not every time they end up in a tough situation do they get busted out. In fact, Matthew was beheaded by a, with a sword. Mark died in, uh, after being drugged through the streets of the city. Uh, Luke was hanged. John died a natural death, but they did unsuccessfully try to boil him in oil. Uh, Peter was crucified upside down in Rome. James was beheaded. James, the son of Alphaeus, was thrown from a height and then beaten with clubs because that wasn't bad enough. Uh, Philip was hanged. Bartholomew was whipped and beaten until death. Andrew was crucified. Thomas was run through with a spear. Jude was killed with arrows. And Matthias was stoned and then beheaded. Kind of grim, a little bit sobering. I mean, these are, these are the people that got, got busted out of jail. So like, what I want to say is that not every time is God going to remove you out of a place of unsafety or discomfort. But when there is something for you to do, when something advances the kingdom of God, he is going to make a way for that to happen. Let's continue reading. Matthew 5, 21b. Let's see the rest part of uh, 21. Where are we at? Now, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. All right, this is where the humor shows up. But when the officers came, they did not find them in prison, so they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them and wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. All right. So, I mean, you can imagine like uh, just how exasperated the high priestly council is, right? They put them in prison so they wouldn't be teaching the people. And what are they doing? They're teaching the people. How do they get out? We don't know. Um, we can't seem to hold them, and God will not be thwarted, right? Uh, verse 27, let's continue. It's a lot of scripture, but we're, uh, we're busting through it quickly. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Hang on to that phrase. Here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Love that. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And so Peter immediately, he, he just goes into the gospel. Given a chance to speak, what is he going to say? He's going to share the gospel. He's going to speak what God has done. And we are all witnesses to these things, verse 32. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care of what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. 
After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days, days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his vice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. That is powerful. I mean, God's word speaks for itself, but let me just make a few observations. Uh, number one, I love that they went away from a beating, a night in jail, and then a beating, and they went away rejoicing. They went away rejoicing. And I think about this grumpy day that I had yesterday, and I think, why was I grumpy? There is so much to be thankful for. There is so much to rejoice that we are in the midst of, of what God is doing in our family, there is so much to rejoice and to see and to be thankful for. It is so easy for me to put, you know, to, to kind of slide into a place of grumpiness when, you know, in the midst, we see these apostles that, that spent a night in jail, took a beating for, from, you know, this, uh, this religious elite, which, you know, Props to them for, you know, being able to put a beating out. I mean, I, when I think of the religious elite, I think of like, you know, older, feeble people, but they were able to throw down a beating, you know. Um, so they come out of this beating, and instead of being like sorry or sorrowful or like, uh, you know, kind of afraid or, uh, but no, they're a rejoicing. That is, what a great opportunity, a, a joy it is to suffer for the Lord. I mean, that is a mindset that I need to wrap around. I mean, that, that is something that I can grow in. What, a, what an opportunity to rejoice in suffering for the Lord. That is challenging to me, and may it be challenging to you. But another, uh, I, I did love that phrase. We pointed it out as we went through it. You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And do you remember Acts 1, 8? There were to be, uh, the Holy Spirit was going to come upon them, witnesses to where? To Jerusalem and then Judea and Samaria. And they are fulfilling scripture. They're doing exactly what they're called to do. They're called to be witnesses to Jerusalem first. And that's what they're doing. In fact, the religious elite, they're, they're like, they're calling it good. Like you have filled Jerusalem with teaching. And what are they teaching? They're teaching about the facts about Jesus. They're teaching that he was resurrected. They're teaching that he has the power to forgive sins. They are teaching that he is God. And they're teaching that, that you are to repent and follow him. And they're filling Jerusalem with this amazing truth. And I would just ask, like, are you filling Stanwood with this truth? Like, we are to fill the community with teaching. I think it's amazing. I love this. It's like almost like it's almost time to move on. You have filled Jerusalem with teaching, but they are fulfilling the thing that God has had them to do. And so I just would ask you, as a, just as an individual and then as a church, are you fulfilling the things that God has for you to do? Maybe you know exactly what it is that God has called you to do in this life, and are you obedient to that? Are you fulfilling that? Uh, another challenge or observation um, is this, this, uh, this Pharisee Gamaliel, 
That's easy for me to say. Uh, this Pharisee, right? He says, if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow him. I mean, I don't think he understood how right he was. Like, I don't think he got it. He's basically saying, hey, if this is of God, whatever plans you have to stop this, you won't be able to stop it because if it's of God, he will not be thwarted. His plans from beginning to end, you know, from alpha to omega, he is not to be thwarted. Nothing is going to stop what God wants to do. He is unstoppable. Job 42.2, right? We recognize that even uh, way back in the Old Testament, Job, he says, I know that you can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Ephesians chapter 3, Paul, the Apostle Paul, later, after what's going on in the book of Acts, he says, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Like the eternal purposes that were launched from the beginning and will be, you know, fulfilled one day, like they will not be stopped. It is going to happen. We read the book of Revelation and we know that his kingdom is coming. Amen? Like he will not be thwarted. Like what God wants to do, if you want to just jump, jump on board with where he's going, like church, if we want to be a part of what God is doing, just hop on board because his plans will not be thwarted. It doesn't matter who is elected governor. It doesn't matter who is elected president. It doesn't matter how much grain you have in your storehouses. It doesn't matter, you know, what it is that you, like if you still have that job or that position or authority or whatever that shiny object is, like, throw that away. That doesn't really matter because God will not be stopped. Like, his plans are going to be fulfilled. This is who he is. He has said it. He will make it happen. His promises are true. We can put our trust in him and him alone. When we believe in Jesus, when we place our faith in him, he restores our trust into something that is secure. When our trust is in him, everything else will work out because his plans will not be thwarted. This Pharisee was speaking truth and he didn't even know it. God will not be stopped. In conclusion, we see that Jerusalem was filled with teaching and we see that a big, like they're just about to start to move on. And then we know that their call eventually is to meet in Judea and Samaria and the ends of the world. And, and maybe uh, the strategic move to, to get the disciples or apostles to start moving out wouldn't be exactly how we would have drawn it up, as we're going to see if we continue through the book of Acts. But God had a plan and it wouldn't be thwarted. And, and the gospel began to spread in ways that were unique and amazing and powerful. Cedarholm, you are a part of this Acts 1-8 movement of God. You, Cedar Home, right here, this, all of you, you're a part of what God was doing in Acts 1-8. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you as a congregation, you get to be witnesses of what Jesus has done in your own personal life. You get to be witnesses of what God is doing in and through this church. You get to be witnesses to your neighborhood, witnesses to your workplace, witnesses to the people in, in, in the organizations that you're a part of, witnesses about what Jesus has done in your own life, and you take that with you. We are a part of this unstoppable work of Jesus. Like, that's exciting. This is exciting. His church, the gathering of all believers all over the globe, will not be stopped. It's not going to be stopped by disease, as we saw. It's not going to be stopped by the sins of the congregation. It's not going to be stopped by the sins of the leadership of the church. 
I mean, we have been in places where there is church pain. I mean, I'm sure you have stories too, but God's gospel will not be stopped. Humans may try to get in the way of that, but God will not be stopped. If we lean into what God is doing, we are going to be a part of the movement of Acts 1-8. We're going to continue to be a part of that. The fact of his authority, of his resurrection, of the, the power and authority to forgive sins and restore life and relationship to all people all over the globe, this will not be stopped. And it is, it's exciting that Cedar Home, you guys are right in the middle of it. You're right in the middle of what God is doing in this church, in this moment, in this community. Let us pray. Let us pray that the Holy Spirit would come in power and that we might be placing our trust in the Lord and see him glorified in this community. Jesus, we come before you. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would release your power and authority in this church. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come in miraculous ways. Lord, would we see healings? Would we see deliverances? Would we see lives restored? Would we see people put their faith and trust in you? Would we see confession of sin and repentance and forgiveness extended? Would your anointing be over this congregation as they go into the community? Lord, would you, Holy Spirit, would you move? Would you breathe on us a power and authority like we see in the book of Acts? And may we, may we rise up and be witnesses, be witnesses to the risen Christ and what you're doing in our life. Lord, in, in so many ways, I don't feel, uh, I, I don't feel like worthy to be um, sharing this message, but this is, this is what's in the scriptures. This is what your church is called to do. And Lord, we just, we confess our uh, lack of faith sometimes. We confess our, our sin. We, we step before you and we recognize we need you. And we as a church, as a community are dependent upon you. God, would you move in ways that would surprise us? It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to end our service today uh, out of the book of Jude with a benediction. Would you stand and receive this benediction? Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. All right, have a great week.